Well, good morning and welcome to Prosperity of the Wicked. That is our topic today. Pray that um, you'll have wisdom and discernment to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say through this, this particular issue. It's a common problem that just virtually everybody has is why do the wicked prosper? This was certainly what the psalmist was asking in Psalm 73 as he was wrestling with what he saw in his day. So we're going to go through some of these verses here in Psalm 73, talk about uh, the psalmist, um, his comments to the Lord, his observations, and what the Lord revealed to him, and then draw some conclusions here, hopefully some good application for all of us. Well, first, Psalm 73, starting with verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, hopefully you can see immediately, he is a, uh, he's not a happy camper. He's very vexed by this whole issue of the prosperity of the wicked. Why is it? God, that you are allowing these people who are rebellious against you, who deny you, who are seeking to do their will, not your will, who are all about themselves, why are you allowing them to prosper? And it's really even worse than that. These people are so arrogant. They're skeptics. They're scoffers. They're malicious. They they deny you. All of these things, and that's going to be unpacked here in the next few verses, but you can see his attitude is not a great attitude. So it's, it's an example of how the Holy Spirit is not limited by bad attitudes of sometimes the writers of Scripture. We, might, we kind of think of inspiration as being the writers of Scripture, always being in close, tight fellowship with the Lord and just revealing his will. Now, he's working through the frailties and the, the, the vexation of men and still revealing his truth no matter what the state of the agent might be. So this psalmist is an agent of truth and he is not, um, he's not having a good day. He's struggling here. So let's go on and read starting in verse four through verse 12 and see what he's seen. He's talking about the prosperity of the wicked here. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They have no problems here, no health issues. They're free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can, I, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. This is vexing. Why is God allowing this to happen? So, there's, we're going to now look at verses 13 through 16 and see, you know, where the psalmist really is. 
He's, he's not going to hide his emotions any longer. He's going to lay them right out there in front of us. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, in other words, in that state of mind, I would have betrayed your children. I was, in other words, I would have not spoken truth about you to them because I am so vexed. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply. So just a a quick reminder of what he's faced with here. He's looking at these wicked people. They're, They're materially prosperous. They've got plenty of resources. They lack nothing. They're arrogant, boastful carefree. There are no struggles in their life. They're healthy and strong. They're free from the common burdens of life. No human ills. They are violent, unrestrained people, unrestrained evil, hard-hearted, skeptics, scoffers, malicious oppressors, and they're humanists who deny God, which means they are taking on the role of God themselves. So this is giving the psalmist a sense that God is blessing them. That's what he's concluding. Why are you blessing them? Because he's making the common assumption that if you have money, you've been blessed. We all tend to make that assumption. We see somebody that's got money, we think they've been blessed. Well, that's because we don't really think like God thinks. We don't see as God sees. So now let's take a look at what the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to the psalmist to clarify this situation. So then I understood their final destiny. So now this is revelation. The psalmist had not understood what was really going on. All he saw was what looked like was something that was not right. God is blessing these wicked, wicked, evil people that are rebellious against him, denying him, scoffing at him. The psalmist goes on and says, surely you place them on a slippery ground, a slippery slope. In the prior slide, I had the imagery of of a man climbing a mountain. That's the imagery here. If you've ever climbed a mountain, you know it's important that you have a good foothold. If you don't have a foothold, you will slip. And if you slip, you're going to fall. If you fall, you're probably going to die. So he's saying here that just like somebody climbing a mountain needs a really good foothold, the reality is their foothold, because of their wealth, is not going to be a good foothold. It's actually going to be a slippery foothold. It's going to be a slip and slide to death. He says, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? completely swept away by terrors. There are terrors coming at them that are going to be absolutely debilitating, that will cripple them and will reveal that their wealth was not earned through obedience to God. Their wealth was was basically given to them to prepare them for judgment. That's just amazing that God would do that. 
He goes on and says, as a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. They're living in a make-believe world. They have an illusion of success. It is not real. And the only way that we can see it is we have to have God's perspective. So here's the triangle of truth. You've, you've, if you've heard me teach on this before, you've heard me use this particular imagery. This is a way to think about reality, to understand reality. You see at the bottom, you have uh, bottom left, you have yourself. And then you have yourself looking through your own senses at facts, data. The pro these wicked people who are materially prosperous, arrogant, boastful, carefree, with no struggles, healthy, strong, et cetera, et cetera. These people are wealthy. They're materially wealthy. So that's what you see if you just look through your senses. What if you take that same data and you say to God, what is your perspective on that? Would you do that? And then you are able to come down the other side of the triangle and with truth, where God is going to give you the truth of the situation. And the truth is that wealth that they accumulated while in a state of rebellion against God was a setup for judgment. They're on the road to eternal death. They're on the road to judgment of some sort. And it may be severe judgment in this life, but it will certainly be judgment in the lake of fire, the eternal judgment, the worst of all judgments. So when you see that, you realize there are two ways that, that wealth are used in Scripture. One is if you obey God, according to Deuteronomy 28, according to Psalm 1, if you obey God, that will lead to wealth. Now, you have to understand, when God talks about wealth, he means having what you need to do what you're called to do. That's what he means by it. So wealth is not about your definition of wealth. Wealth is what having what you need to do what you're called to do. Whereas the wicked, you know, when they accumulate wealth with unrighteousness, that is a setup for judgment for them. So are you accumulating wealth by virtue of obedience to God? Are you accumulating wealth while you're in a state of rebellion against God? What is your state? Depending on your state will tell you the purpose of God for that wealth in your life. Now, that's a staggering reality of how God works. Now, let's, let me just give you some basic theological principles that you can, you can see in this text, conclusions that you can draw, you could say, from Psalm 73. I've got seven here. I'll run through these very quickly. The first thing you'll notice is the reality of the common grace of God. This is the universal grace for rudimentary alignment with God, which means basic, simple alignment. No one will have any favor in God's universe to do anything unless they are aligned with God on some level. Even a thief trying to steal money from a bank has got to follow God's principles of planning, of teamwork, communication, uh, strategic, uh, you know, alignment, obedience, co conformity to the plan, the submission to authority, you know, all these kinds of things that, that come from a Christian thinking 
then they have to use those to be able to rob the bank. If they don't do that, it's not going to work. So that's the rudimentary alignment that even a, a thief, a crooked person, he'll have the grace to do that. Now that common grace serves all of us well because we live in a sea of rebellious people. It's very evident in our culture. We have a lot of rebellion in our culture and yet we're able to live relatively safely and we're able to go to the store and get food without getting poisoned. We could drive on the roads without generally getting shot or run off the road by some wicked person. We can uh, you know, sleep in our homes without too much fear that somebody might set it on fire or throw a, a hand grenade in the, in the window. Uh, this is all because of common grace. You know, so common grace is a tremendous gift. It's a very simple gift that gives people the ability to treat one another with some decency and respect. But every once in a while, God will lift his common grace, and you'll see it a glimpse of how wicked and ugly people could be. All you got to do is look at mass murderers, look at what happens with them, and you'll get a glimpse of how ugly things can be. Then you have the complexity of God. The complexity of God is a very interesting idea because we like to think of God as very simple. In Psalm 1, you have a, a very simple formula there. You obey God, you're blessed. You disobey God, you're judged. Very simple. It doesn't really contemplate situations where someone seems to be blessed even though they don't obey God. That's what Psalm 73 deals with. So God is not simplistic like we want him to be. He is complex. One way to think about the complexity of God is like the, the multicolored coat of, of Joseph. The coat was a, was a unit, was one, but it had many different colors on it. So these represent the different facets of God. God has many, many facets, many, many aspects, many, many traits. They all fit together. They're, they're unified in God, but they are not necessarily simplistic. They are different, but yet they are unifying in his, his nature and his person. So God is complex, and Psalm 73 put together with Psalm 1 will illustrate the complexity of God. The third trait is the forbearance of God. Forbearance is an expression of God's love. When Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, if you eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will die. Well, when they ate of the tree, they died. They died spiritually, but God deferred their physical death. Had they died physically, we would not even exist. The reason we exist is because God's forbearance. God chose to forbear, to defer judgment. He doesn't, doesn't choose to eliminate judgment. His nature requires judgment, but he chose to forbear judgment. That's what he does with the prosperity of the wicked. He's forbearing. You know, if a wicked person who's gained wealth unrighteously were to repent and turn to God, then He's not on the slippery slope anymore. He's actually now, God is going to turn and use what he has accumulated for a blessing. Because that man, his heart, if he truly knows the Lord, has turned to God. It will now seek to obey the will and ways of God with that wealth.
So that that opportunity is there in front of them. And that that's the forbearance of God. That's the wonderful gift that God has given all of us to be patient, to wait. God accommodates sin. He never endorses it. He doesn't approve of it, but he makes room for it. He's redemptive. He's always looking to redeem. The fourth trait is the purpose of God. We need to understand that how God uses these kinds of events in life, hardship, seeing somebody very wicked prosper. That's a hardship. That's challenging for us. He uses those things to basically enable us to grow and mature, to be built up in the faith. James 1 through verses 2 through 4 is the great example of that. We're supposed to rejoice in suffering and trials and tribulations because God is building up a better understanding of who he is and our ability to live in that truth. That's his purpose in this kind of testing. So the psalmist, while vexed by what he saw of the prosperity of the wicked, while he is suffering and struggling, he's been very blessed through that. The wicked person is actually on the road to judgment, and the psalmist is the one being blessed, not the other way around. So that's the purpose of God. The next thing we see is the perspective of God. You see, we have a God who does not see like we see. He doesn't think as we think. He doesn't act as we would act. He's called us now to come and live as he lives. So he wants us to learn to see with metaphysical awareness, which is the ability to see you know, beyond the physical. Meta means beyond, and physical means physical. So beyond the physical, be, see things from God's perspective. He is a transcendent being. He gives us his word. So through the word of God, we can begin to get a glimpse of how God sees reality. And so we want to keep working to grow in our understanding of the grace and knowledge of Christ. As we do that, we see more and more how, you know, God sees things. And we can begin to live in the triangle of truth. If we don't live in the triangle of truth, we see facts in the natural, but we don't understand them. You can never really understand them until you can see from God's perspective. That's why the triangle of truth is so critical. So getting the perspective of God was very important in the case of Psalm 73. In the natural, the psalmist could not see truth. It took God's perspective to give him the truth. Sixth thing is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God requires that God will judge sin because the faithfulness of God is being faithful to his righteous nature, his holy nature, which excludes anything that is not consistent with him. So even though God is forbearing in judgment for sin, sin will be judged. And the only things that will be spared that judgment are the things that God has redeemed. So God is faithful to judge. He's faithful to redeemed. He is a faithful, faithful God. So finally, the seventh point is material wealth is not true success. Material wealth is not true success. That is so hard for us to get. Anytime we see somebody with money, we think God has blessed them. That is only true if they've accumulated that righteously. They've accumulated that wealth righteously. If they've accumulated that wealth by virtue of rebellious, with a rebellious attitude, a rebellious motive, a self-centered motive, a what's in it for me attitude, 
if that's been where, where they've come from and, and what they've done, that wealth will be a setup for judgment. And keep in mind that wealth is just a tool to do the will of God. Wealth is no more of that. Wealth is not the measure of success. It's not the measure of security. It's not the measure of significance. It should not be the basis of satisfaction. Wealth, worldly wealth, is a tool. Just like time is a tool, your talents are tools, technology is tools, treasure, worldly wealth, is a tool to obey God. Remember, your objective in life is always alignment with the will and ways of God. That is what it means to be a Christian, to seek to obey God, live under the Lordship of Christ in every area of life. And what God gives you in terms of time, talent, treasure, technology, that what we call T4, what he gives you, you need to steward that to facilitate alignment with his will and his ways. This is the way of a disciple, the way of a Christian. This is what we're called to do. Don't do not be deceived into thinking that worldly wealth is the measure of success. That's what the world thinks. That is not what scripture teaches. Scripture gives us God's perspective of reality, the only correct perspective. That's the reality we must seek for. We must seek to see it as he sees it so we can learn to live as he would have us to live. So may God give us grace to learn these lessons and learn to learn the power, the great power of living aligned with him and to be warned about the deception of the wicked, the deception of the material, materially wealthy people is deception. They are not blessed and they are not comfortable. And in their rebellion, they're just being prepared for judgment, whether it's here or simply in eternity. And keep in mind, as you're thinking about, you know, how and who you're going to conduct business with, you need to be looking at whether or not the people you're doing business with, the people you're connecting with, did they accumulate whatever wealth they have through righteousness or are they living in a state of rebellion and arrogance and condescension toward God? If they're living in that latter state, it's a setup for judgment. And when that judgment happens, which and you never know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, there probably will be collateral damage. And those around them that are connected to them could very well wind up be, being injured by the judgment that God executes on them. So we need grace and, and wisdom and discernment to know who we connect with. And we need to be wise. Don't connect with people simply because you think you can make money. You connect by discerning the will of God. And you have to look at the motives of the people you're working with. You have to look at their heart and you have to discern where they are, whether or not they're on a slippery road to judgment or whether or not they're really aligning with God. If they're really aligning with God, then they will be blessed and you'll be blessed you know, along with them. If they're not aligned with God, they're on the road to judgment and you may wind up getting part of that judgment on you if you are equally yoked with them or trying to be yoked with them. You won't be equally yoked, but where you're trying to be yoked with them. So give us grace, Lord, to hear this and to discern how to live and walk with you faithfully each and every day. 
aligned with your will and your ways for your glory. And give us grace to be wise and recognize what real blessing is and recognize the motive of people and what they're really after and be quick to recognize those that are materially wealthy, but for the wrong reason. So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.